the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. You ever felt like that? You ever looked around at your world and thought, wow, plenty of people seem to be doing fine and they don't have God and they don't know God. They don't pretend to. And if they seem to be doing so well, then why should I be loyal to God and obedient to God and following God and loving God? I mean, if it seems to be that it works out both ways, whether you follow God or not in this world, maybe I'm missing out on the fun. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. There are times throughout our lives when we will be tempted to look at the people around us and ask, why does it seem that life has been better to them? Why do they have the better cars, the bigger bank accounts, and the more successful careers? Pastor Gary challenges us to not go there, but to instead fully grasp that God is good. Know that God loves you and that when your day of judgment arrives, He will welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. No matter how unfair things may seem here, your eternity will be glorious. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 73 for part one of today's message titled, When Life Seems Unfair. You'll notice at the top of Psalm 73 that it says, Book 3. Book 3. Actually, the book of Psalms, 150 chapters in all, are separated into five sections or books. And so this is the third of five sections. And you'll notice it says Psalm 73 to 89. And then starting at Psalm 90 is book 4. But it is just a way that early on the book of Psalms was divided into smaller sections so that you could follow along more easily. So this is the beginning of book 3 out of five books within the book of Psalms. I'm going to read all of it. It's only 28 verses, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to look at this wonderful chapter today where the Lord would minister to us through the pages of his word. So here we go. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, 
They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This psalm that we're reading here, Psalm 73, is a personal testimony from a guy who is asking that age-old question, why is it that at times life seems so unfair? Now, by the time he writes Psalm 73 here, he's come to the other side of that question. He has reasoned through some things. He's sorted out that question, and so now he's actually writing this psalm, having resolved the confusion about why at times life seems to be so unfair, and he actually gives us some wonderful advice at the end of this chapter to help us if we happen to wrestle with that similar question or questions like it. Why is God unfair? Or maybe the question of, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a common question that people ask. Or maybe the question, what's the point of living for God if people who love and follow him don't seem to have it any better than people who don't? I mean, these, these are troubling questions. And these are probably questions that most of us, if not all of us, have asked at one time or another, at one level or another. And the guy asking the, these questions and, and pondering all of this and sorting through all of this is a guy by the name of Asaph. He has the byline here on Psalm 73. It tells us that he's the writer at the beginning of the chapter. It says, a psalm of Asaph. Now, we don't know too much about Asaph, but here's what we do know. From the Bible, it tells us that Asaph was a Levite. He was a descendant of the tribe of Levi, so that means he was of the priestly order. It tells us also in Scripture that he was a chief musician. He was one of three chief musicians appointed by King David. And that he served in the temple of God during the time of King David and into the reign of David's son, King Solomon. 
The Bible also tells us in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles that Asaph was a seer, S-E-E-R, a seer, which is another word in the Old Testament for a prophet. So in addition to being a, a priest and a gifted musician, this guy is also a prophet. Uh, the Bible tells us, because his byline appears in more than just this psalm, that he actually wrote 12 of the psalms within the book of Psalms. Inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, but he penned 12 of them. Psalm 50, and then Psalm 73 through 83. These are all attributed to Asaph. So he wrote quite a bit of scripture when you think about it. I mean, 12 chapters in the book of Psalms means that he wrote more in the Bible than did Jonah, Amos, Micah, Joel, Malachi, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Haggai, Obadiah, Peter, James, and Jude. And yet we know very little about this guy. He doesn't have a book named after him like all the other names I just mentioned. He's kind of an obscure figure, a worship leader, a chief musician, a priest in the house of God. And yet he writes Psalm 73. Now here's why it's important to understand his background. Because this is not some spiritually shallow guy asking this question, why is life so unfair? This is a guy in the order of the priesthood. This is a pastor in the house of God who leads the worship. That's who this guy is. In other words, if someone so spiritually mature as the worship leader in the temple of God can ask these questions, why does God seem to be unfair? Why is it the wicked prosper? They don't seem to be punished. How come I seem to have troubles and everybody else seems to be scot-free? If this guy can ask these questions and he is a priest, a pastor in the house of God as the worship leader, then about anybody can ask these questions. I mean, just about anybody should be able to ask these questions. And probably anybody has asked these questions. These are not just questions that the spiritually ignorant or shallow might ask. Even a priest in the house of God is wrestling with this. Why does stuff happen sometimes in life that are not easy to answer? Why is there injustice? Why are there inequities? Why is there inhumanity in, in the world? Why are all these things happening? And how do we make sense of all of this? And if God is really on the throne, I mean, have you ever heard questions like this that people ask who are skeptics about Christianity? I've heard my share over my life. You know, if God were really good and if God were really loving, why does this happen? And why does that happen? And how do you account for this? And how do you account for that? And so Asaph is wrestling with these things. Now, again, he's come out on the other side of the questions. He's resolved some things and he has some wonderful advice for us. But nevertheless, we get to read his testimony. He says, I wrestled with this stuff. I just want to take you through Psalm 73. If you'll start with me at verse 2, he says, My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. He said, These things troubled me so much that I almost stumbled in my faith. He said, I nearly lost my footing with God. I felt out of balance with God. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't reason through some of these things. And it caused me to feel like my relationship with God, my walk with Him was out of balance. He said, I almost lost my footing. Or we would maybe say in sailor's terms, I had a hard time getting my sea legs. Those of you who are in the Navy, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you, you maybe you didn't, never even were in the Navy. If you've even just taken a cruise, you know what I'm talking about. You get out on a ship and suddenly you know the buoyancy of the ship in the water. 
You can feel a little wobbly. It's hard to kind of walk around and navigate because you haven't gotten your sea legs. That's the term. And so you feel like kind of your legs are like jelly. You don't know how to stand up and walk down an aisle because you're not used to it. Okay, I remember five years ago, my wife and I decided we're going to save up on our 25th wedding anniversary. We're going to go on a cruise together. So we did five years ago. By the way, tomorrow, tomorrow we're celebrating 30 years of wedded bliss. 30 years. Wedded bliss. I don't know if my wife would use the term wedded bliss, but I will. She had to put up with me for 30 years. But, 25, but uh, five years ago, for our 25th anniversary, we saved that we went on a cruise together. And one of the things we were a little nervous about was, are we going to get seasick? And so we, we got onto the ship, we, we checked in, and we put our luggage in our room, and then we decided, let's go off to the dining hall, because if you've ever been on a cruise, all you do 24-7 is eat. I mean, they just have food everywhere. It's out all the time, constantly. So all you do is you eat. And so we decided, well, let's go ahead and we go to the dining hall. And so we're, we're there in the dining hall and we're eating. And, and my wonderful wife looks at me across the table and she says, you know what? It's not that bad. I, I was a little nervous that things were going to get a little too rocky, but it's, it's really not that bad. I think we're going to be okay. And I looked at her and I said, sweetheart, um, we haven't even pushed off from the dock yet. <laughs> and then when we pushed off from the dock for the next few hours, she was in bed. And she, and, she, and she didn't ever throw up, but she just got nauseous and just had trouble getting her sea legs. And I was going back and forth to the dining hall getting clubs, crackers, you know, and, and ginger ale and bringing it back to her. And I felt the same, you know, awkwardness of like, how do you? And so I'm like walking sideways and I'm trying to, you know, bring in the crackers. And you can't look cool walking sideways. As much as I tried, I was just like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Whoa, hey. And then, I, I, by the way, the opposite is true. When you get off of a ship after you've been on for a little while and you get onto solid land, you have what's called drunken sailor syndrome because you have jelly legs again. You feel like everything is moving, but you're on solid ground. The, the point is that it takes some time when you go to sea or disembark to kind of get your footing and adjust to the environment. Asaph was saying, I'm having a hard time adjusting to my environment. Because as I look out in the world and I see people who don't love God, don't know God, don't follow God, don't pretend to or want to, and their lives seem to be fine. And he says, it caused me to almost stumble. I almost lost my footing. It it didn't make sense to me. He says in verse 3, notice notice what happens here in verse 3. He says, says, because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, he's going to use two different terms in this psalm. He's going to talk about the wicked in verse 3 and 12, and he's going to talk about the pure in heart in verse 1 and 13. So he's, he's, he's drawing a distinction here. And, you know, not, not that the Bible is into labels like this particularly, but just to distinguish between people who follow God, love God, serve God, know God, and those who don't, uh, there, is, uh, there is a distinction here. And... And so Asaph is drawing that distinction. He says, you know, I I started to envy the wicked because they seem to be so prosperous. And it didn't make sense to me. How come they seem to have life so good? And so he makes four different observations about the wicked in Psalm 73. And right here from verse 3, he says they're financially prosperous. And I don't get it. It would seem to make more sense that if you follow God, love God, serve God, obey God... 
that you'll be more financially blessed in the sense of just all of his blessings. And if you don't love God, follow God, serve God, obey God, that you won't experience any kind of blessing. And yet Asaph says, I looked out of my world and I saw that people were doing well without God. And you and I can look around. You can see neighbors and co-workers and you can see people who don't love God, don't know God, don't pretend to. And they can seem to be doing so well in life. And it might cause you to question. It caused Asaph to have some questions here. Look at verses 4 and 5. He said about, about the wicked, he says, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. In other words, point number two, he notices hey, they're physically healthy. In addition to being financially prosperous, they're physically healthy. Verses 6 through 8, he says, Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. I just want you to notice again, let me just highlight some of those words. He says pride, violence, callous hearts, iniquity, evil conceits of their minds, arrogance, malice. In other words, he says they're morally corrupt, and yet they don't seem to get punished for any of this. In fact, they flaunt it. He says they wear pride like a necklace. They go around life saying, I don't need God. My life's fine. I'm well off financially. I'm physically healthy. Uh, I, I'm fine. He says they're even arrogant about how they live like this. In verse 9, he starts to talk about things that they say. He says their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Oh, look how far their pride has taken them, friends, where they even get to the place where they're like, God doesn't even know what he's talking about. Does God even know anything? And the last thing here that Asaph observes is that they are verbally blasphemous. And people around them just drink it up, he says there in verse 10. People turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. You know, whenever they go around talking about how God doesn't really know what he's talking about, how does the Most High know People around them would drink that stuff up. And so Asaph sees all of this. He says they're financially prosperous, they're physically healthy, they're morally corrupt, though, and they're verbally blasphemous, and still they seem to have a carefree life. Look at verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree, and they increase in wealth. He basically says here, God doesn't seem to punish them. They are just happy and wealthy, and I don't get it. And he even then questions, is he on the right team? He says in verse 13, he says, Well, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. He basically says, I guess I've been a good person for nothing. I guess I've believed God and followed him in vain. He says, because if the wicked seem to have it so good and they don't get punished, maybe I'm on the wrong team. You ever felt like that? You ever looked around at your world and thought, wow, plenty of people seem to be doing fine and they don't have God and they don't know God and they don't pretend to. And if they seem to be doing so well, then why should I be loyal to God and obedient to God and following God and loving God? I mean, if it seems to be that it works out both ways, whether you follow God or not in this world, 
Maybe I'm missing out on the fun. There's a lot of Christians who are tormented with that thought. Because they look around and they see people seemingly fine in their lives without God. And it causes you maybe perhaps to question your own faith and to wonder. Maybe, maybe this whole Christianity thing and living for God is not all that it's cracked up to be. Maybe I should be out having fun with all my friends who don't love God and don't know God. Because Asaph even says in verse 14, all day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. He says, I've got the problems. They don't even seem to have the problems. I have the problems. Stuff isn't always working right in my life. Why is this? What's up with that, God? How come the wicked seem to have a carefree life and my life is plagued by problems? And it causes him to nearly stumble about all this. And he even says in verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, Asaph says, if I had complained about this, if I'd opened up my mouth and said, this is not fair, this is not right, I don't get it, God, why are you doing this? Why do you allow this and not that? If I had said this stuff out loud, I would have caused your children, God, to stumble. So I kept my mouth shut. But boy, I wanted to say something because I don't like this. Now, by the way, take note. This is a wonderful point for us. When you think that God is not really doing what you want God to do, don't complain about it. Not with your mouth. Pray it. Don't say it. Because you will eventually come through it like Asaph did. But in the meantime, if you complain about it, you're going to be a bad witness to other people who need to know that God is faithful even when you don't feel like he's being faithful at the moment. So learn to guard your mouth and be careful that when things are troubling in your life, you pray it, you don't say it, you make sure that we're not spreading a bad example and dishonoring the name of the Lord. Asaph said, I wanted to say something. Lord, I wanted to complain. Oh, I wanted to say something. This does not make sense. I don't like this. But I knew, I knew it would cause your children to stumble, so I kept my mouth shut. And he says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. It was oppressive to me. New King James translation says it was too painful for me. The ESV says it was a wearisome task. The Hebrew is the word amal. And amal means miserable, grievous, and burdensome. He said, when I, when I tried to understand all of this injustice and complexity and, and what I perceive as unfairness, it was burdensome to me. And friends, let me just say something to you. If you, if you try to always figure stuff out in this world, if you try to always make sense of the senseless stuff, you will torment yourself. It is burdensome. The fact of the matter is, there are some whys, like why did this happen and why did that happen? There are some whys in this life that will not be understood this side of heaven. It just won't. And if you try to make sense of senseless stuff, it will just torment you. And shame on any of us who try to do that on behalf of somebody else. There are some things that just need to be left alone. Like, we don't understand this. We don't get it right now. You know, oh, you're, I'm sorry your little uh, six-month-old baby died of SIDS. But you know, God needed another angel in heaven. I've heard that kind of stuff. 
We need to stop saying stuff like that. We need, we need to look at somebody in the eye and say, you know what, I don't know why this happened, and I'm so sorry, and I'll pray for you. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.